Hey, good morning. Uh, welcome again. Uh, happy Mother's Day again. And as we say that, we both celebrate with all the moms, and we also um, take this time to recognize that this can be a tough day for, for some folks um, for lots of reasons. And so we acknowledge that. We stand with you. And so today, as we rejoice with those who are rejoicing in motherhood, we also mourn with those who mourn this day and, and, and walk together in, in, in both truths. And so we love you. We thank you. Um, the last three months have taught me just how much of a rock star my mom is. <laughs> um, so before we continue, if you have a youth between 6th and 12th grade, uh, we have a youth service. Pastor Isaac is right there in the back, and they are going to head out for their service. So it's um, it was unfortunate this morning. Um, Amari hadn't been sleeping, and then he started sleeping, and then my dog Zoro decided to wake him up. So we're giving away a dog today. If anybody wants a blue healer who's very fun-loving and happy and vocal, just come by the house whenever. And I have a leash, I have bowls, I have food. I have everything you need for this dog. And if no one comes, then just pray for us that I keep feeding him. All right. So, today we're going to talk about this, this idea of, of a new expectation. Now, the thing is, it's Star Wars week, so I was going to start the sermon and call it A New Hope, but um, I thought better of it, and I had to disappoint all the Star Wars fans. I'm sorry. No, today we're going to be talking about a new expectation. See, it's like a little less fun now, right? You're like, I really wanted the first one. I really wanted the first one. But they're two different things, and we're talking about the second thing. Um, so let's start in Hebrews 11, verse 1, uh, a, a scripture we, we know. In the beginning, God, nope, that's the wrong scripture. So it's actually Hebrews 11, 1, um, but the slide didn't save, so I'm going to read it out. <laughs> now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We're familiar with that, that passage? Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the, convic the conviction of things not seen. And so in this passage, the author describes faith. He says, hey, you want to know what faith is? This is what faith is and then proceeds to give examples of what that looks like. He describes Abel and describes the, his level of faith by his offering to God. The type of offering he gave to God came out of his expression of faith. He, he talks about Noah and the, the faith that Noah had to, to build something for something that never existed yet. He talks about the faith of Sarah who was well beyond the years of giving birth, who was able to give birth. He talks about Moses 
and the faith he showed in freeing God's people. He talks about the faith of Rahab, who betrayed her, her country to look out for the people of God. He talks about the faith of Joseph, who endured so much and had every reason to doubt and yet still believed in God. And so the author of Hebrews describes faith and helps us to understand what it is and then gives us a lot of examples for it. And, and as we look at this expression of faith, the, the, the assurance of things hoped for, I want to talk about the second half, the conviction of things not seen. The conviction, the knowledge, the, the thing we hold on to of the thing that we cannot see. You know, we live in an interesting time because they're like, we, we see a lot of things. We see more things now than we ever have before. You know, <clears throat> I read one statistic. It was like, I think we, with news, there's more news in one day than there was in a year, what, 100 years ago, Right? That's an, that's an estimate, right? Like, I don't remember the exact numbers. But, I mean, but like to put it in perspective, we get more news in one day than people used to get in an entire year. So we see a lot of things. We, this is the information age. We can literally, I can literally pull up my phone. It connects to a tower, which connects to a satellite which gives me every bit of information I need on a particular thing whenever I want. Who was that actor in that one show? He looks familiar. What was his name? <laughs> right? I don't feel like looking for my calculator. What's 12 times 10? <laughs> right? We have access to so many things. We see a lot of things because when we have just access to education, <laughs> right? We know more, we can see more, we can, and, and then we have our experiences. And so all these things come together, and it's like, oh, well, actually, we see a lot of things. And so it creates in us almost a bit of a own self-confidence that we see all that we need to see. Like, no, actually, I, I know what this is. I've seen this before. And I know what to say or I know what to do. I mean, this is the kind of problem with like certainty when we're too certain. When we're too certain about everything, it really doesn't give a lot of room for God. But like we strive to have 100% certainty on everything. We strive for our, our faith and our platitudes and our, our entire existence to fit within a certain set of instructions or paradigms or beliefs because it brings us security. But when we do that, those are all the things we see and we have nothing else to look for. We have nothing else to see. And so what are we believing in? Do we not give room for God to surprise us? God loves to surprise us. But we have to give him room to. And so no matter what we think we see, Faith is the conviction of things we don't see. 
So what are those things? What are those things that we don't see? What are those unseen things? Are we allowing ourselves to be open to the unseen? Are we allowing ourselves to be open to the uncertainty? Are we allowing ourselves to wonder, to be curious, to try, to fail? Because we can't see what's next, because we don't know what the next step forward is. What are the things that we're hoping to see? What are the things that we've given up hoping to see? So we have this tie between hope and expectation. And so I want to talk about the power of expectation. Now, before I talk about the power of expectation, we need to address, depending on your background, there's like an extreme version of this, where it's just like, if I have the right amount of expectation, I have the right amount of faith, I say the right things, and I say the right formula, I can have whatever I pray for. And if I don't do all those things and I don't get it, then it's on me. Y'all, some of y'all familiar with that? That's not what we're talking about, okay? Because it turns out God can work with as little or as much as we give him. What do you say? Faith is a mustard seed? I can't even, like, put the size of a mustard seed in my, my fingers are too big. That's how small a mustard seed is, right? And so while there is work for us to do, let's not make expectation and faith purely an us thing, but this communion with God as he's drawing us closer. We don't, wanna, we don't want this fake expectation. We don't want to just have to drum up something that's not there. We want genuine expectation. An expectation that exists regardless of past disappointments, regardless of past experiences, an expectation that is fully banked on God, an expectation that says, I don't know anything. All I know is that all of this is depending on him, and I can't see, but I'm going I'm, I'm, I'm gonna to bet the, the farm on him. I'm betting it all with him. That's the kind of expectation we're looking for, and it's based on God's demonstrative love for us. It's based on what we've seen him do. It's based on how we've seen him interact with us. It's based on how we've seen his kingdom impact our lives. And so as we talk about that genuine expectation, <coughs> we know that there's a certain power in that. But I want to go a little bit deeper this morning. I want to first talk about our structures of interpretation and experience. Now, this is a little bit more about kind of, um, kind of structure theory. And so basically the idea is this. We all have a structure in the way that we interpret information and that we interpret our experiences in the world. Now, most of the time, we're not aware of it. And even when we are, we can't, like, just change it. It is what it is, right? Like, the way we interpret the, our life around us, the way we interpret people, the way we experience them is based off of so many factors. But the fact is we all have a structure in which we understand the world around us. That's why I like these personality tests can be sometimes really helpful if you take the really good ones, right? Like Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, they're really helpful because they help us understand our own structures of interpreting people and experiences all in relationships around us. You with me so far? I'm going to explain a little bit more, okay? 
So we all have this structure of, of, of interpreting the world around us. So let me help illustrate this with language, okay? So if I say the red door, that makes sense, right? What if I say the door red? You're going to be like, well, that's, that's incorrect. You said it wrong, right? But as an English, as a native English speaker, that is how I process language. Now, if I spoke Spanish, I would say, la puerta roja, okay? La puerta roja literally means the door red. But that's the proper way it's spoken in Spanish-speaking countries. And so the way that that is spoken, it, it, the adjective is flipped, right? And so when I hear the door red, that sounds wrong to me. But someone coming from a Spanish-speaking background, they hear that, that sounds absolutely right. Their structure of the way they process language is different as a native Spanish speaker than the way I process language as a native English speaker. Is that helpful? So like we saying, Jesus, I love you. Right, we say, Jesus, I love you. When, and, then, and then you only switch to Spanish, right? Jesus, te amo. Jesus, te amo. Right? Which literally means Jesus... You I love. Starting to sound like Yoda right now. Like, wait a minute, why are you switching everything around? Because that's how the language works. And so it's actually not wrong. It's just the way that we understand it. So just like it's true for language, it's true for every part of our life. We understand through a particular lens. One last example. I once talked to a friend who had just come back from Italy, and she told me she preferred Manjunis over food from Italy. Mark, I'm sorry, but I'm like, what are you talking about? That's insane. There's no way. There's absolutely no way you find Manjunis better than actual Italian food from Italy. <laughs> I know I'm about to get real trouble out here. Somebody about to get real mad. But listen, <clears throat> this is our structure of, of, of experience interpretation, right? Growing up in South Louisiana, your palate is oriented a certain way. And so when you have food, that is completely different. It's just like, no, I, I prefer this. This is how my experience is structured. Now, me, with a different palate, find that to be insane. <laughs> but that's me and my structure of, in, of interpretation and experience. <laughs> we can't go there yet. We can't go there right now. So. I'm going to take this a little bit further, okay? Now that we have that, we've laid the groundwork for that, I'm, I'm going to take this a little bit f further. So there's this book um, by Thomas Kuhn called The Structure of Scientific Revolution. And one thing he talks about is as, as scientists are doing their science work, like that technical definition there, as scientists are doing their science work, when that anomalies in their observations are often not seen. 
They often don't see anomalies. Or anomalies are treated as errors in the tools or errors in the observation. Or they see anomalies, oh, well, this is a problem that we have to fix later. I got a couple scientists staring at me right now waiting for me to say something wrong. <laughs> kidding, I'm kidding. See, when we see anomalies, we usually put them on those three categories because then we don't have to address our expectations. You see, because if, 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 if I allow that anomaly to confront what I expected, that means I got to challenge my own expectations. And so that's why naturally we're like, oh, there's an anomaly. I didn't see it. Like, that, that, was, just, that was just a blip. That, that didn't really happen. We avoid seeing the unexpected, and when it's forced on us, it creates anxiety. When the unexpected is forced on us, it creates anxiety. These unexpected occurrences, however, can be a beacon for God to restructure our thinking, restructure our hearts, and restructure our experience. What does Romans 12 say? That we are renewed by the transforming, restructuring, of our mind. Y'all still with me? All right, all right. Our perceptions are influenced by what we have seen and what we expect to see. If we can address our expectations, we can see something new. There's a reason why it seems like we go in like these endless circles. There's a reason why it seems like nothing changes. Are you familiar with the phrase confirmation bias? Right, and so it's a, okay, so confirmation bias is this bias in ourselves that says, this is what I expect to happen, and so when something happens, I perceive it a certain way because that's what, what I expected, whether or not it actually happened that way. Because my bias says, this is what's going to happen. I know this person, I know, what, what, I know what they mean, I know what they do, that, you know. And so when they do or say something, we could miss the heart of it. We can miss what they're actually saying and what they're actually meaning or what they're actually doing because our confirmation bias tells us something completely different. And so we have a completely different perspective and perception of what's actually happening. So in the, um, I think it was the 17th century, maybe the 18th, I can't remember. So there's a lot of discovery happening in, in the stars with astronomers. Um, and so they, they were looking at these studies and they found that Chinese astronomers discovered more than European astronomers. But they're looking at the same sky with relatively the same equipment. You see, because in, in, in the Chinese, these astronomers' structure of experience, they expected something new. They expected the cosmos to change, to continue to evolve. In the European frame of mind, they did not expect anything to change. They expected everything to be the same. And so the results were, guess what? For the European astronomers, nothing changed. For the Chinese astronomers, they discovered all of these new things. This is the power of expectation. And so I believe God wants us to expect differently, to address our expectations. See, often we hold on, one way we can do this is like often we hold on to a particular image of God. 
you know, one of those images that God I once, I used to hold on to was this image of a distant, loving but distant father who really wanted me to follow the rules and was waiting for me to mess up. And when I did, he would be angry and I'd have to like fix it. That was like the image of God I had for a long time. And so when I discovered this whole new image of God, it was very surprising. A God that was loving, a God that cared about the decisions I made, but wasn't, going, wasn't waiting for me to, to mess up. I had to have this new image formed because my expectation of growing in God had to change. And so sometimes we have this image of God as a taskmaster, and he wants to give us a new image of the prodigal God. Sometimes we have this image of, of, of God that it's like, oh, well, he's the savior of my soul. But he wants to give us this new image that says, hey, I'm, 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 I'm near to the poor. That's who I'm closest to. Sometimes we have this image of God that is near to the poor, but we need another image that tells us that he desires intimacy. You see, whatever our image of God is, if our expectation is that that's the only image we're going to have, how is it ever going to change? How are we ever going to get a more rounded, a more full, a more whole picture of who God is unless we're willing to challenge our expectations of who we want him to be? Yeah? Look at Luke 17. I think I actually saved it this time. Yay! Okay. Once Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God was coming, and he answered, the kingdom of God is not coming with things that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is, for in fact, the kingdom of God is among you. And another translation, it says, the kingdom of God is in your midst. kingdom of God is in your midst. So for those who are unfamiliar with this phrase, the kingdom of God, what Jesus is talking about is the, the inbreaking rule and reign of God that sets things right, that changes hearts, that restores communities, that heals people. This kingdom which makes everything brand new. And here Jesus is saying, here the Pharisees are like, hey, where, when What's the kingdom of God going like? How are we going to know what's here? And Jesus said, hey, it's, it's here. You can't see it, but it's among you. And what is this faith? The conviction of the things we cannot see. Jesus says the kingdom is among you. And so if we expected God to move in our ordinary day-to-day lives, if we expected this kingdom was truly in our midst, how would that impact our expectation each day? Would we expect to have a kingdom moment? Would we expect an opportunity to see God move in a stranger's life? 
Or do we expect a relationship that's been broken for 20 years that today, today it could be made whole? Or do we expect what we've always been expecting? That this person is going to continue to be a jerk and nothing's going to change. Do we continue to expect that this thing in my heart is broken and it's never going to heal? Do we continue to expect that things are just dark and there's never going to be light? Or is our expectation challenged, confronted by the anomalies? Are our expectations coming face to face with this kingdom that says, I can change anything at any moment? Are we willing to see it? Are we willing to see the change in the cosmos? Are we just expecting everything to be the same? It's something I have to face on a regular basis. It gets frustrating. You feel like you do all these things and like nothing has changed. You feel like, oh, we got the, the, the perfect set of circumstances we've been waiting for, the perfect set of circumstances we've been hoping for, and nothing has changed. And when I get in that place, I know that I have to say, okay, well, maybe it isn't that nothing hasn't changed. Maybe I need to change the binoculars I'm looking through. So as we hope and expect for something new, for seeing what's not there, this can be mobilized in some key ways. So the Spirit leads us, and often we resist, okay? We all do it, but that resistance is an indicator that God wants to bring something new. You see, the resistance, does, it's not always the Jonah story. Like, sometimes we feel like, oh, if I, just, if I avoid God too much, then he's just, like, he's going to do what he did to Jonah, just in, like, in a, in a more practical way, right? Like, I mean, you just throw me in a whale, get my attention, you know, make me really afraid, and then I'll, like, get back on track. Like, not every time that we resist is it that dramatic. <laughs> sometimes God is like, okay, well, when you're ready, I'm going to keep tugging. I'm going to keep tugging, and when you're ready, there is something new I have for you. If you have trouble identifying resistance, I would encourage you to try out the examine prayer a few times a week. It's on our website. If you go to resources and spiritual exercises, you'll, you'll find the examine prayer. It's a really good way to help us identify where we have resistance. And if we're, like, we're open to it and open to recognizing it, then it becomes really obvious. You're like, dang, I've been resisting hard. <laughs> Uh, I want to look at Philippians 3 as we close, 3, 12 through 14. Oh, man. I really struggled with slides today, and I? Oh, my gosh. All right. Well, I'm just going to read it out loud. We're going to go old school here. I'm going to read it, and you're going to listen <laughs> like, like they used to do in a couple thousand years ago. Not that I've already attained this or I've already reached the goal, but I press on to make my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But this one thing I do, the one thing I do is this, 
forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Man, there's so much happening in this passage, and I'm running out of time, so I can't get too deep into it. But I'm just going to focus on just one thing. He says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. See, often we're seeking what's behind. We want revival. We want that thing we once had. You remember that thing we had when we used to do that thing? That's what we want again. I want that. We want to recreate the moments we had when we felt like we were, we were close to God or we felt like this was going on. We keep looking back, and that's where we're putting our hope and our expectation. And what Paul is saying, what I believe what Jesus is leading us to is like, that was great, but we need to put that behind and look for it because God has something new. He doesn't want to recreate the old thing. He, wants, he has a new thing for us. But if our expectation revolves around recreating this old thing, hoping that this thing that we once had comes back again, we need to shift our expectation to say, what is this new thing that I've never seen before? What is this new thing that I've never seen before? This conviction of the unseen things. Y'all, I want revival too. I wish 90s hip-hop and R&B would come back because it wasn't no music like 90s hip-hop and R&B. Just, sorry, it wasn't. But something new is happening. I don't like it, but something new is happening. For real, though, we have... We all have this tendency to do that. There's this theory um, in, in the film industry. It's called temp love. So this is what happens. When they're editing a movie, they use music that already exists to edit the movie. And so this is what happens. The directors and the producers, all the people working on the movie, they hear that music so much and they love it. They love the way the edit has come together. So now the, the, they finish editing the movie and now they put on the new music, the actual music for the film. You know what happens? They hate it. It's not that it's bad, but it's not that first thing. It wasn't the thing they first heard. And this is the problem. No matter what song it is, no matter how good the music is, it will never be good enough. You see, because what happens is when we fall in love with something, with an experience, with a person, that first love, there's this there's this adrenaline rush. There's this rush of endorphins. There's all these things happening in our brain and in our physiology that just, it feels so good and it feels so right. This is the problem. It only happens the first time. It doesn't happen the second time. And so we keep trying to recreate that first experience that we can't recreate. When God has this, this new thing for us, I have something better. But often we can't see it because we want that first thing. We want that thing we once had. 
But if we can have a new expectation, God will give us new direction. If we can have a new expectation, there's some more transformation available for us in our souls. If we can have a new expectation, we can experience renewal in every part of our lives. All right, let's look at a couple practical tips. So first, a couple reflections for this week to kind of get you in the place to begin to make these shifts. What is your image of God? Is there a new image forming that God wants to show you that you have been resistant to? Did I randomly capitalize an H? Yes, I did. I don't know why. Because I'm struggling <laughs> with the PowerPoint today. As you pray, as you get into scripture, as you have spiritual conversations, how is the spirit leading that you have been resistant to? So both these reflections are designed to help us identify the resistance in our own souls. Because that resistance can be a beacon, right? It can be a beacon to the new thing that God has for us, to a new expectation. Dare I say a new hope. Okay, so this is the actual practice. With the power of the Spirit, orient your heart, mind, and actions and words to expect differently. Commit to this for a period of time with others to create a new habit. And so let me describe how you can do this. You get with a few friends and say, hey, I'm trying this new thing. I want to expect differently than I have before. This is what I have been expecting. These are some areas that I feel like I've been resistant to the move of God. And so I'm going to like name that right now. Why don't you also name it? Let's talk about it. And let's help each other expect new, expect differently. It's amazing when we do things together how much more powerful it is. 